Welcome to Retention Chronicles, a podcast sponsored by Malomo, a shipment tracking platform that helps e-commerce brands turn order tracking from a cost center into a profitable marketing channel. Here at Malomo, one of our core values is to constantly be learning about something new. So our marketing team, consisting of Sarah Lights, our head of marketing here at Malomo, and I, Mariah Parsons, have set out to do exactly that, and we hope that you join us. We will be discussing everything that surrounds customer retention, what it is, why it's important, how it fluctuates, how it grows, what you can get out of it, and so much more. Today, Sarah and I welcome Brian Smith, who's the head of e-commerce at Netting Co., a hemp D2C brand. We dive right in and talk about the importance of a brand's story, possible touch points with customers, tempering expectations, performance goals, and incorporating user-generated content. One awesome topic that we also dive into is everything that surrounds subscription models. In the e-commerce world, there's sometimes that negative connotation that surrounds a subscription model just due to you know, difficult cancellation policies and customers not wanting an extra order when it isn't the correct time. And so Brian really walks us through their very successful structure that Ned has implemented and how they're winning in their customer experience by really diving in and looking at those different nuances that surround cancellation policies and their messaging frequency. And then Brian also shares some different and easy platforms that Ned has been using to grow different avenues of their business. So with that, let's roll the audio. Please enjoy. Today, Sarah and I are joined by Brian at Ned & Co. He's the head of e-commerce. So welcome, Brian, and thank you for joining us. We're so happy that you're here today. Thanks for having me. So as head of e-commerce, you know, there's, as I can imagine, a lot of initiatives that you have to focus on, but here we're talking mostly about customer retention. So for you, you know, and your approach, what does customer retention do and how you let it affect your brand strategy? Yeah. I mean, I think that um, one of the things that comes to mind is that there's this implicit message with retention that shows the brand that their products are meaningful to the customer and that they're high quality and that people want them, you know, and, and if you're a brand that struggles with retention, um, that doesn't mean your products aren't great, but I think for Ned, it's, it's really been one of the foundational things for our brand was like super high quality product, take the steps necessary to keep it that way. And, and, um, you know, I think that resonates when you look at some of the some of the retention data that we have. For sure, yeah, and that's one of the things, you know, it's hard, of course, to maintain a customer when you don't have that quality product. So one of the things I was curious about to ask you is how do you convey that that quality of product to your customers even before they make the first buy? That's a good question. Um, you know, and and I think for me, I'm, I'm definitely not the right person to speak um, to that at Ned, in part because I'm so much, uh, I'm so biased towards like the performance and revenue side of our business. Um, but what I can say is that, you know, I think telling the story of like why, why the brand, um, exists and sort of, um, not explicitly saying it, but trying to understand like what your right to win is. And, you know, for me that, that right to win is, is just 
like the question I would ask is, well, what right does Ned have to win compared to competitors or like fit in the market in a certain way? And um, really like putting that forward and being consistent and making that part of your marketing message is something that I think is, is way more important today than it was 10 years ago. Yeah, like how you tell the story. Yeah, I mean, to be honest, like our story has pretty much stayed the same since, um, you know, I started working for Ned as a consultant and I was doing that for about three years and started full time a year and a half ago. Um, and that story really hasn't changed much. And that's really a credit to our founders and, um, you know, Rhett and Adrian and, and the, the, the message that they went to market with. You know, I do think that there's sort of, for us, there's sort of this implied differentiation in um, the hemp space because we have a really strong relationship with our with our farmer and all of our hemp comes from a single source in Paonia, Colorado. So, you know, it's difficult for me to say like how that story manifests itself in per the performance metrics that most people might think about. But we do know that there are some examples like for, you know, very specific examples, like in a, in a welcome email flow. Um, like when we put the brand story forward and we say like, here's why we exist and here's what we do to make our products better. Um, that's going to perform at a higher rate than, or, or that's going to perform better than if we come into a welcome series and say, um, you know, you're going to love this product. Here's 10%. That's pretty amazing that you started an industry with the right story, because I mean, so many people really kind of struggle with that, trying to find what their brand voice is. Do you do you find ways where you talked about like, you know, telling your story in the in the welcome email? Are there other points uh, kind of along the retention journey that you kind of highlight your story? Yeah, it's that's a good question. I think we need to do a better job of that. Um, but that's a realization I've had in the last couple months. Um, you know, just for example, we have a great about us page and I don't think that we've done enough to really like push people towards that page. So, you know, in terms of like layering the message in for me, I'm, I'm more of the facilitator between like the brand vision that, um, Adrian and Rhett created. Um, and then thankfully, um, I have a copy director or a content director, Rory, who, um, just always delivers copy uh, in marketing campaigns that follows that story. And I don't have to be the one who, um, you know, decides how to uh, explain that in different places. And there's so many, there's so many different touch points that, that we could talk about, but I'm not the one who's had to uh, make the message work in all those places, which I'm super happy about. Yeah. That's such a fair thing. That is a very difficult task to make sure you convey the brand story. And you mentioned that this had been something, you know, in the last couple of months, you maybe want to focus on more. So, you know, maybe this is something that Ned starts to do, but in an ideal world, what would you say, you know, what would be some of those touch points that you would like to grow and really focus on in the future? Yeah. You know, I think, I always like to um, try to like, I don't know what the exact right way to say it is, but I, I, I like to try to temper 
um, expectations and the thinking of how our business is doing with uh, performance data, which might be as simple as like looking at Google Analytics and seeing that our About Us page doesn't get a lot of traffic. But once we like review those kinds of things and, and we take a step back and we say, like, what's the appropriate place for us to promote this? Um, I, I think that's like one of the things in retention other than having a great product and um, creating the right story that that matches up with the product and matters to the customer. I think it's really important to put yourself in their shoes when you communicate with them. So, you know, don't write an SMS campaign that welcomes someone to the list if you wouldn't want to receive that. And don't email people four times a week if you wouldn't want a brand to email you four times a week. Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm less on the brand side and the storytelling and the copywriting and the content and more informing, um, like where can we reach these customers and what's the goal for that touch point. And I, you know, I think most brands that are like Ned do a great job of, of, you know, not sending the wrong message in the wrong place at the wrong time. So that's uh that's been fun to see it's it's just not it's not something that happens too often in my opinion yeah i mean you just saying that if you don't want to get four emails a week <laughs> don't do that to your customer i mean that's that's very different than i think a lot of people out there in the, in the industry and it seems like it's working for you yeah maybe and the other thing is like sitting where i sit maybe my my comment that that doesn't happen a lot is probably because like I've already filtered all those people out. Yeah. yeah. So, like, <laughs> and I probably sign up for all the coupons and then keep getting those. That's my problem. Yeah. yeah. And you know, I mean, I think I use my, I use my personal inbox. The promotions tab for me is only um, like for professional use. I'm only following brands where I really want to see what they're doing with email. I really want to like benchmark their designs or brands that I'm actually purchasing from on a consistent basis. So, so yeah, it might not be true that people don't abuse email, but I think that uh, over the course of years, using channels really carefully is going to give you more revenue. Mm -hmm. Like you, you may, you may give up something in the short run, but over the long term, you're gonna have a better foundation if you use channels carefully. Yeah, I think I think that's so true. I mean, you think about the brands, even personally, that you'll use for a long time. I think it goes exactly to what you're saying that the brands that communicate to you purposefully and intentionally and at the right time are the brands that you'll continue purchasing for. And the other ones are, like I said before, the ones you sign up for a coupon and then probably put the unsubscribe and never contact them again. Yeah. And it there's, I, I just think like that brand story and what to say and where is really intuitive. Um, there are performance metrics that we can use to say like that didn't work or that did work, but, um, you know, that's really where it's more of an art than a science, in my opinion. And and yeah, I think you're right. Like the brands that I'm always going to buy from, if they have a sale or, you know, the, the people that I'm waiting for during the holidays, those are the brands that do it right for me. And they don't, you know, they don't annoy me and they don't do things that I hate. So. And we may be a little biased being in the industry, but still, I feel like, you know, it's not like we're the only ones who feel this way. Yeah. I mean, and, you know, to my comment earlier about, I think 
the brand and the storytelling. I don't know. Recently, I I do think that the it, it obviously depends on who your audience is and who who your customer personas are are set up and how that's divided. But you know, when we speak to people that we work with, they really they really recommend like kind of more of a soft selling. Use content to sell the product and try to position yourself as the solution to a problem through content and not just the.、Um, You know, I don't want to call anyone out, but if you look at like nationwide big box retailers, most of the emails I get are just like, at the most, they're seasonality,、um, but they're not. You know, they're not trying to like use content to sell their products. They're just saying, "Here's a thing, you should buy it."、Um, so, recently, we've heard a lot of people that are just advocating for us to Really dig into that content and and tell the story of the brand and the product without、um, getting too biased towards the buy this now and、uh, you know but that that buy this now trap is kind of a it's understandable because some brands just need you know like you you have to make money and everybody has goals and and oftentimes you know I think people get stuck in kind of a negative feedback loop where they're sending emails to to earn money and keep the business going. I would definitely say, you know, as we've been talking about figuring out what your brand can connect with and the brand story, I definitely agree that that soft sell I think is becoming way more relevant and just you know content that's generated by customers. So you know, having reviews from customers because there's an element of you know trust that if you're buying a product and an unbiased opinion is saying no, I vouch for the product. There's a lot of value in that. And I noticed that Ned does do some of that, you know, with publishing the customer reviews on your homepage. I really commend that soft sell because even for me, I haven't tried any hemp products or any CBD products, but I really want to. So, you know, trying to navigate that customer experience is just very helpful to have, you know, customer reviews and have that element, you know, of a stranger saying, "Oh, I give this product five stars." I really think that's where a lot of the trends are continuing to grow. Yeah, I mean, it's what comes to mind for me I, on the review side of it. It's primarily two things. One is that there's there's a lot of really really quick and easy ways for for small brands to automate reviews and、uh, make it easy for customers to submit reviews. You know, and at the same time, we have found that with our with our size and our resources, it's been really hard to like use those resource、uh, use the reviews. More effectively on a product page, so you know we have like some basic hot jar data, and we've done some testing on product pages, and you know reviews are an area that we we need to look into and and really try to like make that more a part of the buying experience.、Um, that's not to say it is now, but people really engage with、uh, that little review link that we have near the buy box on our site, and.、Um, You know, always looking for new ways to tie that to the purchase and make it easier to get into a、um, like the add to cart to checkout funnel. Yeah, and I'm I'm curious as well. That's great to hear. And I know it's you know we've moved towards more like influencers and micro influencers, and you know that user generated content. So I'm curious, have you guys thought at all about using that avenue to grow customer retention, or really just reviews at this point? Because it is, I mean. You know, having other people build for your brand, I, I expect that there's more stress that could come along with that.、Um, but I, yeah, I would love to know 
more about that brand strategy and avenue? Yeah, I mean, I think um, influences are have been. It's an area that we focus on a lot. Um, we found it difficult to um, make it scalable in a in a cost effective way. Mm-hmm. Um, but we have worked with a bunch of influencers in the past who do who do great work for Ned, and we also do a lot of work on podcasts, which I think is similar in the sense that what we found is is really like working with that partner to tell your story and um, and try to make it meaningful on the brand side as opposed to, you know, hey, buy this product, there's a two for one today or some other um, more promotional focus. So yeah, I mean, influencers are great. I don't, you know, I don't really view it as much as retention as I do acquisition and um, sort of like the broad um, like reach that we might have as a brand. Um, but it can be, especially with new product launches, um, you know, and, and if we had, I think if we had gotten the influencer program where it was, um, a little bit easier to manage, um, there might be some retention focus there, but for now it's mostly been acquisition and, and really like increasing brand reach with, with new products and, and telling that story. I love that perspective because, you know, for me, I, I just had the perspective of retention because I'm way more willing as a customer to buy and continue buying from brands that I've either heard friends or family or influencers that I follow, um, you know, continue that relationship for myself. So I love hearing, you know, from your perspective of just how it helps acquisition. And it definitely does. Thank you for sharing that. I mean, that's awesome. Yeah. And I think like I should say as well that, um, as it relates to like customer reviews and customers who might advocate for us, we do have like a referral program that works pretty well for us. Um, and you know, a lot of those are, are really low cost and really easy to implement. You know, there's, there's like one really cool thing that I've seen recently that we haven't implemented yet. Um, and it's a service called Gatsby, but what Gatsby does is they actually integrate with Clavio and they allow your customers to be rewarded for um, something like an Instagram post. Oh, that's super cool. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I think there's this influencer conversation on acquisition, which is like we go out with, um, you know, someone like Julie Bauer at Paleo MG and we work with her to promote our brand and our products. That's kind of more in the acquisition funnel for me and, and, in terms of really getting our customers out there um, and promoting the brand on Instagram or Facebook, it's it's something we're working on. Um, you know, I'd love to work with Gatsby in the future, and and there's a few other things that um, you know you can do with loyalty programs that incentivize that. But all of it's happened organically for us, so we're not really um, you know encouraging customers to talk about Ned or post for some some other some other type of reward. So what are some of the the best things that you're doing for retention? If if you want to give away those secrets. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, I'm not sure that they're secrets. I think yeah. um, the best things we're doing for retention, um, you know, we have a great subscription program. I think that fits our product really well. So, you know, subscription and direct consumer um, definitely has kind of like a negative connotation among people who are in it. Um, like, like for the two of you, like, do you subscribe to products? The ones I really like. Yeah. I'd say the same. (laughs) Got it. Yeah. I mean, I'm like a Netflix subscriber, obviously. And, um, you know, I might subscribe to some other services, but 
I hear a lot of conversation about, you know, the subscription side of our industry as, as being negative. Um, but we think that our program has just been great for customers. And that's the biggest thing we've done for retention is really focus on building a great subscription program and putting the customer first and allowing them to have the control. Like don't, you know, I subscribed to a major news publication that I, that I won't name and canceling was the worst thing ever and I'll never go back. So that's, I think the first thing we've done is we built a great subscription program. Um, and then the second thing on retention is getting back to that, like, don't send a message you wouldn't want to receive, um, and trying to use, um, like purchase interval data to get better at, you know, like if I'm going to Mariah, if I'm going to send you an email saying like, Hey, you might want more of this product. If I can deliver that email closer to the time when you're ready, that's going to be less annoying than if I do it like right after you got your first order. For sure. Before you even try the product, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that's, you know, that's sort of like, maybe that's segmentation 101 is, I don't know, maybe it's second semester segmentation, but <laughs> um, trying to, on that note, like trying to make sure that the people you're reaching out to, to reorder, like make sure they don't have an order in transit. You know, mm -hmm. like if someone just ordered for you and they're waiting for a product, you really want to be careful that you don't ask them to like spend more in the wrong way. And um, yeah, I think we've done a good job at at trying to keep the messages generally like lower and more focused on when people want more as opposed to like when we want them to buy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's it's funny that you say this, Brian, because I'm I'm like all the all that you're saying always seems so easy to figure out right but so many people aren't doing it and it always seems to me like okay this is a no-brainer why don't you provide content that really matters to the people when it matters but it's amazing how few of people are are actually doing it and doing it well and maybe not in the d2c kind of field i think a lot of people there are starting to get really better at that but you're right some of the big box stores i don't know if it's just a volume thing where they're like hey it doesn't really matter if you purchase from us again because there's so many other people that are purchasing from us or or what it is but it's just awesome to hear that you know people are actually in in my thought <laughs> doing the right thing when they're messaging people yeah i mean one of the things that comes to mind for me is like there's this beautiful little sweet spot that we sit in where um, we have access to all these services. So we have access to all these services like Malomo, um, like Clavio. You know, we use we use something called repeat that really helps us like validate purchase intervals. And we use a reporting software called Dacity that can publish information through to Clavio or Facebook ads. And, you know, all these things are like ridiculously cheap. I mean, compared to like the, the things that REI would be using um, or, you know, Nordstrom or something like that, they're so easy to use and they're so cheap that, you know, I think a lot of brands that are on the Shopify platform and let's say under $15 million in revenue a year, like that's the key is like find those, the, those software packages and just um, make sure you're ready to use them and, and leverage them to their fullest. And I think that's great. You know, you mentioned the negative subscription, you know, I guess mentality or stereotype that there is. So 
with your subscription program that's been working, what would you say, what about it, you know, has really been successful? Like what characteristics yeah. help it grow and, you know, really help your customers and the retention? Yeah. I mean, I think that, uh, on the surface, you're going to see, like, we give a discount we offer free shipping. We also offer gifts and, um, those customers are, um, Ned, we call them Ned Northstar members. And through that gifting program, I think we've really added a lot of value that goes beyond the cost savings. So, you know, instead of putting so much focus on the X percent off you get with recurring shipments, we're trying to add value in other ways. And, you know, we have a great customer happiness team that um, is Brianna, Carlin and Hannah. And they're, they just do a great job of working with people and helping them you know, have the best experience they can. You know, I think the membership adding value outside the discount is really important. And then, you know, just let the customer be in charge. Like if you make it impossible to cancel or um, change a shipment date, uh, you're like, you're never gonna get that person back. Mm -hmm. But if you make that experience of, of canceling their subscription for whatever reason, if you make that great, like they're probably gonna come back. You know, you've already, if you think about customer buckets, you have, like we have people that have been around forever and they're super high value and, um, you know, they're probably going to stick around. But one of the things I'd like to do going forward is really try to reactivate these people who are subscription customers that might have lapsed or canceled because they're still they're still going to be more valuable to us um, compared to like people who have never subscribed. And, um, you know, I think we can engage that group of people because it might be that it might be that some of those people canceled because they hated our product or it didn't work or, you know, they had a bad experience, but there's going to be the majority of them who, who might come back at some point. And, um, that's one of the most important things with subscription is like, let them, let them handle their, their, um, subscription, how they want to. And, and also like do whatever you can to avoid the accidental renewal, which is that, like that's why a subscription gets a bad name, right? Is mm -hmm. because, you know, Mariah or Sarah, you might be a subscriber to Ned and all of a sudden you have like half a bottle of one of our products and then you get charged for your next one. And you're like, oh, that sucks. <laughs> so, you know, um, we're, we're actually making some, some major changes right now that I hope will help us like avoid that, um, you know, had half the product left got a new shipment. Um, cause that's just not what we're looking for. Yeah. That's awesome. And I, I won't say what brand this happened to me, but I, w I just purchased something recently and I had no idea that I would be automatically enrolled in a subscription. Like it wasn't, it wasn't on and it, maybe it was in the fine print and that's my fault for not seeing it. I don't know what it was, but they automatically rolled me into subscription and I had to like, just barely notice it in the email confirmation. So then I reached out to them, but it wasn't an easy cancel. And I had to text them or call them and then their text widget wasn't working. And I'm like, this is the biggest hassle ever. And I'm probably gonna like their product, but I, I haven't even gotten it yet. And they already caused this giant hassle, which made me be like, you know, I'll probably go somewhere else. And it happens all the time. Yeah, there's, all. I mean, when you say that, it makes me, I get like, you know, this little creeping anxiety because I'm like, yeah. oh my God, I wonder like what. We're not doing that, are we? Yeah. 
because people at the at the end of the day like it's easy to miss that stuff and when you're shopping online you don't always pay attention to every detail um in terms of like you bought something sarah and you didn't know you were subscribed um like that can be easy to miss it's not yeah it's not it's not on the it's not on our customer to figure that out it's on us to like talk to them about it and make sure they know how to you know use the service we're offering yeah um but also if we made it impossible to cancel i guarantee you we would have a bigger business today <laughs> yeah it's and like those 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 sh short-term and long-term growths too right like you probably have a much bigger business but would it but it would it last and i think that's a hard hard balance too as a marketer i mean i guess i'm i'm just fortunate that i you know we're a small company and we're all aligned in the sense that we don't want to have that kind of subscription. Like, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm always like, I, I do occasionally say like, well, you know, if we remove that email, it, we will do better on retention just because I think sometimes it has to be said. Mm -hmm. um, but it's always coming back to me like, well, that doesn't seem right. We should just leave it in there because the customer wants to get that email. They want to know every, every time you can, you you uh, communicate with a subscription customer, you're offering that person a chance to jump off, which is much harder than just ignoring the communication altogether. Yep. Yeah. Right. Doing the balance it, is so important. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Doing it the right way, to your point, Brian, is like you're worried that more people will jump off if you are communicating to them because you are making it easier but you also don't want to be you know like that big gym that will not be named that it's so hard to cancel but it's only ten dollars so i'm going to keep paying it for three years kind of thing yeah yeah it's that's so true and i guess there is a certain element of like where you fall on price point mm -hmm. um like if i pay ten dollars a month for netflix i think that issue of accidental renewal is less of a big deal than it yeah. is for because you know at ned we're you know we're, we're a premium product and we offer a customer experience that well we try to offer a customer experience that always <laughs> matches that but so for us it's just not you know if you're spending 85 dollars a month to get one of our products that accidental renewal thing just it just can't happen yeah um, it's not it's not something that people are going to be like, oh, it's 10 bucks. It's not that big of a deal. It's something people can probably be upset about if it happened. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, the other thing that we do is we try to encourage subscription starts after trial. So, you know, I talk a lot about, um, we talk a lot about like the quality of traffic when we look at things like conversion rate and new customer acquisition in the sense that yeah like you can bring a thousand people to your website if they're all like completely uninterested in your product your conversion rate's going to suck mm -hmm. um and it's the same way with retention like really trying to um evaluate who becomes a high value customer and and leading new customers into that with product trial or you know we recommend this product and then at the right time offer the subscription that's something that we have done and and definitely need to continue to do going forward because we'd rather have fewer subscribers that are high quality than a larger subscriber group that cancels after their first order and brian i'm curious would you say that there has to be sometimes like a little bit of a mindset adoption of 
you know, as you're in the space trying to find the balance of what is too much and too little in, in terms of communication, do you have to sometimes think, you know, like if a customer has already made up their mind that they're going to cancel you, you have to just let that customer go and focus on the customers, you know, that are really loyal to your brand and really excited about it? Yeah, for sure. For us, like, you know, letting them go is more of a function of, of bandwidth and the resources we have to execute things. With the updates we're making to our subscription, the, the one thing that we're trying to do is learn more from those people at the time of cancellation. And um, to my comment earlier about using um, these really low cost, high impact software packages, like we can get all that information through to Clavio. And um, if, we, if we had more bandwidth, we would be using that information more effectively, I think. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, we're not, you know, someone who cancels, we're not gonna like keep begging forever. But I, I do think that if we had more time and more people um, to, to really execute those kind of the win back side of it, we, we'd be doing that for sure. Yeah, I think that's a great perspective, you know, just being aware of <laughs> your own brand and saying this is potentially, you know, what is going on in each situation and going along that same thought of being aware of where your brand is and the bandwidth. You have talked about the softwares that you use like Malomo and Dacity and Repeat. So in the process of enabling those different programs, how did you know that Ned was kind of ready to take on that step um, and really be able to utilize that software? Um, that's a good question. We, we have so much going on right now um, for quarter four and the holidays that uh, I think we, we may have like gotten ahead of ourselves. <laughs> <laughs> Very true. I love that, <laughs> that awareness. <laughs> uh, but, you know, I think specifically like for for us um our our sort of journey to to launching uh with Malomo was you know we kind of spec'd a, a competitor um and one of the things that really helped was that Malomo had uh like we worked with Josh and the lift for us to get um like from start to finish in terms of actually getting the the transactional program switched from some sort of poor version of, of Shopify emails over to Clavio with Malomo. That process was was really seamless because we had help. And um, we're doing the same thing with two other service providers that we use where, you know, we're paying for an account that offers us uh, guidance and help in terms of like getting the getting that program started. So I'm not saying like money is always, you know, money doesn't grow on trees, but for us, working with people who offer that type of service, the service that takes some of the lift out of, out of like off our plates, that's been a huge help. Well, we love hearing that obviously. And also Josh is awesome. Shout out to him. And two, you know, going into the post purchase experience, what would you say, you know, what has been one of the best post purchase experiences that your customers perhaps I'm hoping have shared in that, you know, that helps with their retention, you know, have you seen a lot more customers coming back after a certain time period after they make their first purchase or after they, you know, sign up for that su subscription model? Um, yeah, I mean, like we're so on the one one of the things that that we see right now is like we're we're so new with Malomo and and your transactional emails that 
there's been a very obvious lift in terms of performance and and uh, and the engagement that we're seeing compared to what we had previously. One of the things that comes to mind is that it adds additional inventory for us to use that supports retention. So, you know, we're showing um, different email content and we're, we're giving a different message to people who are different customers. I think that's gonna pay off a lot for us in the future. And it's been so easy to do um, with Maloma that compared to the, the previous option was just like, everybody got the exact same order confirmation and everybody got the exact same out for delivery email. Um, everybody saw the same tracking page and it, you know, it was the carrier's tracking page. So that's been, I think, super helpful. But in terms of retention, I don't know if we can really say, you know, it's hard to say in the first like 60 to 90 days, mm -hmm. whether or not that's moved the needle. Um, and, you know, on the, on the revenue and reporting side, like one of the pain points is that um, you really have to like evaluate where you're seeing that performance come from because everyone interprets it differently, you know? Um, like Clavio is gonna report it differently than, than Google Analytics, obviously, and Dacity will be closer to Clavio, but um, you know, for now, it's been more of a customer experience win and, and not sure on retention. In the long run, it'll definitely help retention. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that aspect of personalization to each customer, I think is gonna become more and more important you know, as that becomes the expectation, you know, as more and more brands start to pick up on it, I think outside of, you know, D2C, just with all the access we have at our fingertips, um, it's going to be awesome. The, um, you know, the one thing I wanted to say on retention is that the, the act, I think the actual experience of receiving the order, it, I, I think we do a great job. So, compared to like the worst possible scenario, which is like ordering deodorant on Amazon or something. <laughs> um, <laughs> I think we've, we've done a good job at making that, making the, the order and experience that the customer is like looking forward to and, and really enjoys, which isn't super easy for, you know, we handle all of our own fulfillment. And if I need to, add something to a hundred orders. Like I can go back and talk to Matthew and Vita in our warehouse. And, you know, if we were using third-party fulfillment, that would be a much different story. Um, but I personally think that obviously everything we're talking about digitally, like delivering different emails, different customer types, that matters. But if you can also make the experience of receiving that order, great. That's your first step in, in, building more, I would say like making it habitual or making it easier for you to retain customers. Because if you go the Amazon deodorant route, like there's nothing there, right? It's like mm -hmm. a huge box with like a, an air bubbler mallard and like a deodorant. So um, <laughs> no receipt, nothing anymore. <laughs> yeah. 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 I'm so happy you touched upon that because you're completely right. You know, the experience of just receiving that order and uh, Yao, our CEO, was actually on a webinar earlier today, and he was speaking to the psychology of just awaiting 
an order that you receive online and the release of dopamine that you get because you have this anticipated package coming your way you know it's kind of kind of like a fun game or a you know a little gift to yourself where you're imagining and you want to know where that package is so when you actually finally get it you know if the experience isn't it doesn't meet your expectations or you know your anticipation falls I can, I've had experiences, you know, similar to the deodorant in Amazon, where it's just like, oh, like that's not what I wanted or what I ordered, or, you know, it, it, it doesn't mat, meet your, um, what you wanted and your expectations. So I love that you brought up that point. And, you know, this is one question that we like to ask our guests, Brian. So it's a little bit, you know, of a more, meta type of question but what would you if you had to pinpoint what would be one tidbit of information or advice that you think is crucial for you know helping to grow and learn about your brand's customer retention um see i told you it'd be a a hard hitter (laughs) and then we ended with that too (laughs) man like so so one thing that um is going to improve retention or is going to set you up for better retention the simple answer is something like use these cheap and easy tools that are available to you um, and understand who buys what and when the more complicated answer i think is something that i mentioned earlier which is like i'm not really sure why this is working but we think it's working and that would be the quality of the product you you kind of have to just gamble that like the product you're selling especially early on, you have to just gamble that people are going to like this product and you kind of have to gamble that the story you're going with works. Um, So I think on the retention side, if brands can really think critically about the products they're selling um, and understand like what those products are doing for people, that that's the biggest thing. And I, I can't, maybe you can measure that, but most of the time it's just sort of this intuitive sense of, you know, what does it taste like? What does it, what does it make you feel like? Like really think about what that customer is experiencing and try to try to build a product around that. Yeah, trusting your gut, I think it's so difficult at times, but so appreciated, you know, when you, <laughs> when you sometimes just have to say, you know, we're gonna try it out and hopefully other people feel as passionate as your product as you do. And I think that's a great note to end on. I know we've discussed so many different things, but it has been so wonderful. And thank you so much for sending, you know, a little bit of your day with us. It's been awesome to get to know you and we're super grateful for this opportunity. So thank you, Brian. You're welcome. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. And uh, thank you for, you know, offering the service that you do and being a part of that team. It's, it's really been, it's, it's been a huge win for me in the last three months. And so um, that's always nice to have, you know, moving into phase two of working with Malomo and trying to do more with it. You know, that's part of the reason why I'm here. It's because it's been so great. So thank you um, for that. Thanks, Brian. We love hearing that. And so now it's time for our fact check. Brian tells us about all the amazing things that Ned is doing, and he briefly mentions in the beginning the origin story that Ned has kept the same from the very start. So I just wanted to go ahead and share a little bit about that story. Ned was founded by Rhett and Adrian, who both wanted to reconnect with nature and leave the life that they currently knew and get into hemp space. So 
Their hemp is all from the same farm in Colorado, and they even have the certifications from third-party labs on their website, which really just showcases their commitment to transparency that their origin story also speaks to. And now for more of the facts from the episode itself, Brian tells us a lot about the different platforms that Ned is using, such as Gatsby, Malomo, Clavio, Repeat, and Dacity. And we assume that most of you are familiar with Malomo, we hope, but in case that you're not, we're a shipment tracking platform that integrates with Clavio. And Clavio is an email and SMS marketing platform. Um, and Clavio also integrates with the other platforms that Brian Bing that Brian brings up during the episode. So Gatsby is a platform that allows brands to track and reward micro-influencers for their social media engagement and posts. Repeat is a platform that allows brands to track and validate purchase intervals to better equip a brand in their customer's behavior. And Dacity allows brands to view all their data in one place and how to use that data in different ways. That's it for this episode's fact check. And as always, please remember to subscribe and follow on socials to tell us all about your thoughts and takeaways.